This is Real Talk Torah, courtesy of The Database with Rev. Yeshua Eisenberg, that's me, and welcome back to The Database. Now, for today's discussion, we are going to talk about Asara Beteves, but with a focus on today's day, which is Ches Teves. And on Ches Teves, this was the date on which King Ptolemy, or Ptolemy Amalek, he had the Torah translated into Greek. We know the story, he wanted to figure out what was happening with Klal Yisrael and Yiddishkeit, where they get their hashkafa from, and he had 72 Zikhanim confined into different rooms. But we know the nace, they all made the same changes, the same censorships, the same um, editorial um, switches, and they did that so that for various different reasons the hashkafa of the Torah would be maintained, um, Hashem's glory and his kavod should be maintained and all the different reasons, things that might go amiss through a translation of the Torah and the way it would be understood by Talmai Melech. so this was all circumvented by their changes so we know a nace happened for them but this is seen in our tradition as a tragedy right, so this is one of the three tragedies on which we, uh, regarding which we fast on Asar Bateves. Obviously, Asar Bateves, which we spoke about in Musr minutes, um, the Asar Bateves is the very day on which the siege of Yerushalayim began by Nebuchadnezzar, which um, made, which made, made way for the eventual Churban, right? So between Asar uh, Bateves, uh, Shavasar Batamas, which was the breach, and then Tishvav, which was the actual Churban, the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash, Rahman al-Atzlan, but this was the beginning of the end. Right, and then, the other tragedy, which regarding which the Shulchan Aruch says we're not sure what happened. However, um, the Kolbo brings down, and this comes up in our Slichos, we spoke about this in Baal workshop, the other tragedy of the ninth of Teves was the passing of Ezra HaSofer. Now, what I want to talk about, two particular things I want to talk about is one, the exact nature of the tragedy of the translation of the Torah. What exactly is so tragic about that? And is there possibly a unifying theme to the different tragedies regarding which we mourn on Asar Bateves? Now, um, the siege, we spoke about this in Muslim minutes. We said that was the beginning of the end. And I want to suggest that in a certain respect, that really is the theme um, so, um, of, of Asar Bateves and all the tragedies of Asar Bateves. So I, I would say that the translation of the Torah is very connected to the death of Ezra HaSofer, and we'll come, we'll come back to that. Um, but before that, I want to just give honorary mention to another tragedy that a couple of Svarim have written that they suspect is connected to Asar Bateves. Um, the Rishonim and the earlier, the earliest sources don't say, uh, they don't make any mention of this tragedy, but the tragedy of Mechiras Yosef, which we are reading about in our Parshios. So some say that they, um, saw some intuit that there's a connection between Asar Batavis and Mechiras Yosef. And if this, um, this theory that Asar Batavis represents the beginning of the end, so Mechiras Yosef certainly fits that bill because, in fact, Mechiras Yosef was the beginning of the, uh, the first major Gullus of Klal Yisrael, Gullus Mitzrayim, the Shibud Mitzrayim, it started from the act of Mechiras Yosef. So something to think about. Now, in terms of the translation of the Torah and how it's connected to Ezra Sofer, so certainly 
if we could, we could think for a second about the contribution of Ezra Hasofer, he was really unparalleled in terms of conserving um, the the Masora, in terms of the Torah text, in terms of the 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 letters of the Torah. All, all the different um, um, the fact that he's a sofer the sofer means that literally that they he counted all the soferim they made enactments but they also made certain kinds or they conserved certain traditions of of additions that had to be made in the Torah whether that um, whether it means that those additions come from tradition or there was some manual additions so there are different opinions in the Mepharshim and the Rishonim um, of, and the Achronim of what exactly they did in terms of maintaining the text of the Torah but the text of the Torah as we have it we attribute that to Ezra Ezra is the beginning link um, you could, we could say in a certain respect Ezra is one of the pillars of Torah Shabal Peh and that is one of the significant aspects of this conversation. So while we think about the important concepts of the beginning of the end, we should also consider the idea of Ezra representing the, the, the link in the Mesorah. He, he represents Mesorah. He represents Tarsha Ba'alpeh. He represents Emunas Chachamim, the people who maintain our Mesorah. So keep that in mind while we explore this other tragedy. Because, uh, again, it's strange that we have a fast day just because Ezra passed away. Right? We don't have a fast day on every single yard site. Um, you know, there are some people who have a minhag to have a, yard, to have a fast on the yard site of, one, of their parents. But it's not typical that we just designate for any particular chacham. Apparently, the passing of Ezra represents something lost, something really important lost. Okay, so keep that in mind. Let's move over to the translation of the Torah. What indeed is so tragic about the translation of the Torah? Could you imagine um, the translation of Shas, right? Um, well, the, the Schottenstein Gemara, the first time the Schottenstein Gemara was put out. That's something that typically we have expressed Hakar Satov. Perhaps we feel blessed and we feel lucky or fortunate to have something like a Schottenstein Gemara or Safaria. And I don't, I, I can't think of anybody who would have suggested fasting on the day that the Schottenstein Gemara was printed, right? And that that is a translation. And honestly, I don't know where I would be today if I didn't have, you know, um, art school translations for Chumash, you know, the stone Chumash, or whatever other translation you have, the Saperstein Chumash to translate Rashi. Usually we think of translations as something that is helpful and not something that is tragic. Now, it could be, some people might say that, you know what, the fact that the Gemara, for many people, needs to be translated is tragic. And, and maybe there's something to be said about that. Right, so, because on the one hand, we would say translation is a good thing, right? Because that grants us access to the Torah. Right? How many people would uh, be able to learn Torah um, if they did not have a translation? Right? Let's keep it at the level of Chumash, the level of, of just the Torah, Shebech Sav. Right? The fact that we have a translation has granted access to all of us here in Galus. We are all able to learn Torah, and many of us might not be able to open a Chumash without that translation. So maybe first thing to consider is that maybe that need of access is itself tragic, right? 
not to suggest that a person should never ever open up an article of Gemara Chas v'shalom. I mean, there are some people that have that mentality. But I would certainly say that there is a place, there is a time and a place for opening a translation because a translation, again, grants us access where sometimes it would be just too inconvenient or we just, you know, not, not to say that we shouldn't you know, rise up to the challenge, but there are times where, you know, you can, you can look at the same page from today till tomorrow. You might not ever figure out the translation of that Aramaic word. And if you don't know, you don't know. You know, we don't speak the language. So it's understandable if one day or another, or one time or another, you are going to open up a translation, and no one will stone you for that. But there's something that has to be appreciated about the place that we are at, whether it's the fact that there's a katanis hadaros, a yeridas hadaros, that we are not as holy and not as great as generations before, or maybe it's just the fact that we live in Gullus, the fact that I am standing here giving this podcast in English and not giving it in Lashon HaKodesh, for example, maybe says something about where we are today. Well, I'll tell you what it definitely does say. It says that we are in Gullus, and that Gullus has affected how we think. We are in need. We are in desperate need of translations, which is, in a certain sense, an adulteration, a watering down of the Torah. Right, and this is where we get to what the, you know, and so this, this idea that the Torah was translated, this is a tragedy, I would say, on more than one level. Yes, we are happy when we get a translation of the Torah. That is part of the tragedy. Part of the tragedy is that without that translation, we would be nowhere, or we would be very lost, and we rely on that translation. That means we are relying on an unideal, on a non-optimal situation of us being in Gullus and not having many other choices but to use a translation, where you know the Mepharshim don't, are, are, not, are no longer enough, and where we are again desperate and lost because we are in Gullus, because we are not where we belong, because we are not speaking in Lashon HaKodesh, that is, that is a negative thing. So, yes, you know, I'm not saying we shouldn't be happy when we get our hands on a good translation. We should definitely be happy and appreciative if we get a hold of a translation that's going to enhance our ability to learn Torah. But we should just also be happy with the recognition of our natural place of weakness, our disadvantage that we are in, in Gullus, that we need such a thing. And we should also yearn for a better ideal, because this is in fact not the ideal. So certainly while we enjoy the quote-unquote access we have to Torah through translation, at the same time, something to think about when we're fasting on Nasaravatevis, perhaps is about that need that we have due to the low level that we are on, due to the fact that we are not in our ideal state. That is something worth feeling bad about. Now, there are more than just the points about how this is not ideal that we should really be concerned about when we talk about the idea that the Torah was translated and that this is not just, again, unideal, but it's actually a tragedy. So this, this goes back to some of the other aspects that I alluded to earlier, like the adulteration of the Torah. The idea that the Torah has intrinsic holiness, what you do by, by taking that away, by secularizing the Torah, in the, by, by translating it, is you take away from that higher order, that higher level that the Torah is on. This is something that we spoke about more than once in Real Talk Torah, but um, we referenced it in the uh, Siam Hashas anniversary from last year, 
Real Talk Torah. We also reference this in the Lashon Sach Finaki Real Talk Torah. That Kiddusha is the idea not that it's not not just that it's not bad, but it's elevated. It's even higher. The concept of Chil means that it's hollow. Um, it's empty. It's missing something. And by making something mundane, mundane doesn't mean bad. Mundane means it's not elevated. And therefore, the pristineness of the Torah gets compromised when we translate it into another language. And not only that, it's not just that it becomes mundane, but the intrinsic kedusha of the letters of the Torah also carry secrets. They carry many of the sodos of the Torah, that which um, we sometimes find in Gematria or in Kabbalah, the different aspects of the Torah. You know, Torah, there's Shivan Panama Torah, there's so many different layers to the Torah and the meaning, all based on the holy language in which it was written, and all of that gets limited. It gets adulterated by the language of the Torah when it's not in its original language. And this also can bring us to the problem with, you know, this idea of the limiting aspect of the language is the same problem with um, the quote-unquote reenactments, movies, whether cartoon or, or, or real-life action, in real-life action, the problem when you try to, to turn the Torah um, or the narratives of the Torah into... An image that you can look at, on the one hand, it's nice because you have um, depictions, it's nice because you have real-life people, or at least animations of people, but the obvious problem is that limits the, t- the scope of the meeting, and not only that, sometimes it, it, it corrupts it. And very often, you'll, you know, you, you'll watch these, these um, portrayals of stories in the Torah, whether it's, um, I don't know, Prince of Egypt or Joseph, King of Dreams, and some of these, um, some of these portrayals are laughable because... First of all, we don't know exactly how it looked, but to assume that it, it looked in, in this Hollywood kind of way, to assume that it, it's depicted in the way that we'd like to understand it in our language, in our culture, right? that's obviously not what the Torah had in mind. And you, you really need the tradition and you, you need the original pristine language to truly get to the Torah in its essential, original, and unadulterated form. And this is another problem with, with the language barrier and the, the attempt to bridge that gap with a, a language that's not the original one. And that is that language is not just speech. It's not just words, but it's affected by culture. In fact, you can think in a language. And this is one of the problems, right? I think in the English language, and therefore there's natural barrier when I'm reading a passage of Chumash or even reading a text of Gemara or reading the Mepharshim, I have to try to turn that into my understanding, and therefore the translation for me, which obviously limits it, it's not the original Hebrew, it's not the original Lashon Kodesh, but I have to think in my language. And the truth is, if you want to truly understand what the Torah is saying, the truth is you'll never actually get the best understanding if you're thinking in a foreign language. You have to actually think in the language of the Torah. I actually remember my grandfather, Olav Shalom, was, um, was discussing once we were on a Pesach program and he was talking to a waiter. Now, my grandfather knew many languages, but he was talking to this waiter who was speaking in English. I don't remember his original language. I believe his original um, language um, his, um, was Spanish. But my grandfather was giving him a tip because this person was trying to work on his English. And he said, you have to try to think in, in English and not think in Spanish, and then try to translate after. 
So this becomes really hard because if you are thinking in English and you're not thinking in Lashon HaKodesh, so naturally you're limited because whatever the Torah is going to mean to you is going to be limited to your basic understanding of English, which is affected by either British or American culture, which is not what the Torah's culture was. So this is where we get to the danger of having quote-unquote, Torah translations. Yes, enjoy those translations. Get what you can from those translations. But just because you have the translation does not mean you have the most pristine understanding. And sometimes the risk and the danger of having this other translation is that you think the Torah means something because you understand it in a classical, let's say, American way when the Torah was not written in a classical American way. And that affects the meaning sometimes. It affects the connotation. It, it, um, it affects the inflection of what the Torah message was, of what the conversations that were taking place were. What do they mean? And now that, you know, the, and the, the, you know, the, the danger that comes with that is that what all of a sudden happens is now that you have a translation, so we start taking liberties. We start getting creative. And we start trying to interpret the Torah. You know, in general, there's a good approach and a good methodology to trying to read the Pesukim, and that is to let the Chumash speak for itself. Let the words speak to you. But at a certain point, we're limited. Because we are where we are in our culture, in Gullus, and whatever whatever country we're in that's not Eretz Yisrael, with Lashon HaKodesh, with the original language of the Torah, so what what often ends up happening and it's sometimes hard to avoid, sometimes it's inevitable, is that we try to bring the Torah down to our level, right? There is a concept of Dibra Torah, um, that the Torah speaks in the way that people do, but the Torah does not speak the way Americans do. And sometimes that changes the meaning of the words, sometimes it changes the entire meaning of the story. And you can try to understand it in a certain way, and, but once we have a translation, we start taking liberties of how to understand the Torah, and sometimes we get a little bit too creative, and we're not being loyal to who these people were. And Lashon HaKodesh lends itself to the, not just the Pshat, but the Drash, the Remez, the Sodos, right? All, every, you know, everything in the prism of Pardes, the Torah was, was lent to those interpretations and not your classical American interpretation. And that's one of the things that we, that, that we risk by relying on translations. And of course, there's the other aspect um, that... A lot of people felt bad about, for example, when when the Gemara started being translated, is that although you know the access is a good thing, but that greater access also compromises the Rebbe Talmud relationship. We have this mirage of independence, and like like I said earlier, the idea of this liberty and license all of a sudden to interpret things the way we want to interpret it, even if we're trying to be intellectually honest about it, with all the intellectual honesty in the world, by not understanding it in the original language we are necessarily limited. And, you know, this is something that I actually saw. Um, there's a beautiful book that Art Scroll came out with um, on the Gemara. It's called Introduction to the Talmud. And this came out just before the Siyam Hashanah last year. And they had a section intro to Agadita, or the non-legal portions is how they translated it, the non-legal portions of the Gemara. Now, Agadita does not mean non-legal, but that's what it refers to. Agadita has a... Has a connotations, right, we can only, we can try to translate it, but we'll never get the perfect translation, but it has connotations of tradition, some might call it legend, but even in English, legend is not, it does not have connotations of what the Torah actually meant. Legend in English has connotations of not real, mythical, and that's not what we mean when we talk about, quote-unquote, the legends of the Gemara. 
So you have to be careful with every translation. But the point is this particular passage in this book, in this Sefer, was talking about how there are so many layers to Agadita that uh, that people misunderstanding or trying to take a literalist understanding or trying to um, use a translation of Agadita, they get the, they, they they end up going astray or at least their limo, the way they teach, ends up being astray, or the way they understand becomes astray, becomes perverted, because they thought they understood it, because they got a translation, but the translation wasn't a perfect translation. So this is, these are among the many things um, that are actually tragic, really tragic, about having translations um, with, with Torah. And what that means is that you have to take everything, just like everything in life, uh, you know, whatever it says on the news or whatever it says on the internet or whatever someone just tells you on the street, you really have to take everything with a grain of salt, even your best translation of the Chumash or your best translation of the Gemara, of the art school Gemara. And that's because we don't, we don't, we don't always know, right? We talked about how the theme of Asar Bateves is the beginning of the end, right? The siege. The siege is where they start you know, laying out the groundwork and the, the, the blueprint for how the, you know, how the enemy is going to attack us. They start with the siege. And if you think about it, the real geder, right, the real wall around the Torah, we know, right, is Asus Yagla Torah. It's all the aspects of Torah Shabal Peh, that which Chazal and the Sofrim, the Divrei Sofrim, which they enacted in order to protect the pristineness of the Torah, whether it was the Halacha, whether it was the meaning, whatever it is, all the things that we have in Mesorah, that was obviously symbolized by Ezra HaSofer. And when we lost him, perhaps in a certain respect, we lost um, um, you know, a, a big um, foundation, not just the foundation, but we lost our Geder. We lost our fences, which started to be breached. Right, they're not breached yet, but the blueprint for that breach is, is taking place on the siege that took place on that very day of Asarabateves. And the translation of the Torah, I think, is another manifestation of that. Because the translation of the Torah is where we start to, quote-unquote, let the, the secular world in on our secrets by trying to even begin translating it. And it leads to all the sorts of problems that we just mentioned earlier. One, about the accuracy of what the Torah truly meant. And then there's also about the, the mirage of independence. But there's also the, the, the idea that they can now, now that, now, now that not only we in Gullahs have access, but everyone has access. So you get to all these different possibilities of either Goyim misinterpreting the Torah or Rahmatzan Lo'olinu, even Yidin misinterpreting the Torah, either to scoff at the Torah or to be mora halacha in a way that's inappropriate. You know, the starting point is what the Torah actually meant. And we have Chazal, we have Mesorah that's designated to understand and crack the codes of the Torah. But a secularized, limited, adulterated, perverted translation of the Torah is not the way to do it. We know, we don't, we don't, and we don't start from our culture, our American culture, what's, what's politically correct in the world right now, and then we're going to try to figure out what the Torah meant with our, our perverted, corrupt lenses that's not Ratzon Hashem. That's not how it works, right? And the, the poskim don't look at the culture and then work backwards. Yes, maybe you know, we have to, in a certain respect, adapt to the culture, figure out how the Torah affects culture today and what's the appropriate thing to be done. But we don't work from, oh, okay, well, uh, in my English translation of, of, of the art scroll Chumash and, um, you know, whatever safer I'm looking, so it says this, and now we're going to try to, you know, make the Torah work within the culture that's absolutely corrupt. That's perverted. 
That is not what what what, what the Torah meant. And it's this this misimpression that we can reinterpret the Torah based on our culture, based on our gullus, based on our world, which is not Hashem's world. So then again, what happens is that is the beginning of the end. That secularizing of the Torah, that adulterating of the Torah is the beginning of the end. It's where we start to lose a grasp on our Masorah. It's where we start to lose a grasp on the holy, pristine meaning of the Torah and the, the, that need of the Rebbe Talmud relationship, that, that actual dependence that is supposed to exist, that, that humility that says, I don't necessarily know everything and I'm limited in my understanding. That, if, you, if we have that mentality, that's the beginning of building everything back up instead of tearing everything from the seams. So the, 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 this is a heavy matter. There's a lot here. But I think if there's one thing to take away, it's certainly to have a certain degree of humility and understanding that we don't completely understand everything. We don't completely know everything. And even our best translation is going to be limited and it's going to be missing. And it's, going to, it's going to not have everything that's there. And sometimes it'll even have the wrong interpretation of what's there. And if we have that understanding, we should yearn and try to think in the Torah's way, which is to try to think what was Ratzon Hashem and where we are limited because, of course, our culture, because of our gullus. We try to ask people who have devoted their lives to insulating themselves um, in, in the Torah way and the Torah hashkafa. Right, because again, being a being a being a mora, being a a mechanich, being a melamed, being a rebbe, being a rav is not you know it's it's not just about you know knowing a certain amount of halacha, and it's not you know just about having skills and teaching, but you know it's it, it's about having devoted so much time of your life to Torah, so that when a, when a rebbe gives another person smicha. It's because he's saying, I don't just rely on you because you, you, you have some base knowledge of facts about what halacha says about something, but it's about how you have devoted your life to Torah such that the hashkaf of Torah has become your intuition. That's the problem. We don't have the intuition when we live in Galus. It takes developing. It takes working on the Torah in its original language to understand and have and develop Torah intuition. And then, of course, yes, you have to know what's going on in the world to be able to apply it. Yes, you have to know what's happening in the world. You have to know what's out there in the news and what's out there in the current events, even though it's filled with tumma and disgustingness. But you have to understand the culture, yes, to apply the Torah. But what's the order? Is the order culture first and then Torah second? Is the order politics first, Torah second? Is the order, um, you know, what, 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 what is common in the world and then Torah second? Quote, unquote, humanity first, Torah second? My, my limited understanding of morals first and then Torah second? No. We, we, we don't, we don't quote-unquote, translate the Torah. We understand the Torah and we apply the Torah. Yes, sometimes a translation is, is, is helpful. Sometimes it's even necessary when we are so limited. But we have to recognize that the Torah is first and the Torah in its pristine language and understanding was first. And if we do, well, and have that humility, then Be'ez Rosh Hashem you know, paired with intellectual honesty. But we can also have that halachic Torah intuition, that understanding of what is Ratzon Hashem. It'll be before us, and if we're always looking for it, we will find it. But of course, with the Rebbe Talmud relationship, always being governed and guided by people who know better than us. And we will not only maintain that respect 
and uh, that that Kavodah Torah, where it actually is, and that Emunas Chachamim. But we will also be on our way to living the right way. And if we do that, Bezra Hashem will be Zocha to not just the restoration of the Torah, but the restoration of our Geula, Meher B'Yemenu. Anyway, for now, that's all the time we have left. So just remember, keep it real, keep talking, and of course, keep the Torah in its most pristine form. Thanks for joining us here at the database.